naked news, ladies and gentlemen. I only know three other barracks in the world, and I'm pretty much related to all of them. So. <laughs> this is like being this is like being on the trading floor in '87. I suppose it's a bit like kissing your sister. You really. Are. I'm a professional dribbler, so <laughs> let's let's do the numbers, Condor. Around the grounds, the Barnsley ball bag. We'll go to the pub. <laughs> Trying to raise awareness for men's mental health and anything that's happening in sport. Please make welcome the Ball and All podcast. James Tiger Woods, Beric Eckhart, and the king of speaking in the third person, Steve Condor Condo Condor. So, boys, here we are. We're just about to kick off part two with DJ Eddie. Sit back and enjoy. Um, <clears throat> let's start. Let's dive into the uh, alter ego. So, DJ Eddie. Yeah. Um, the uh, the combination of the of the ski life and and DJ Eddie. Let's just start with some of your best gigs with uh, with Quickie. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Best gigs with Quickie. Well, like. I did a lot. I started off doing snow gigs with them, like trade shows and things. I used to have the trade annual trade shows in Canberra. So I went up with um, Jeff Sweeney and Tripper and Spurter and all the guys who were sort of running quickie at the time out of Torquay. And so, yeah, went up there to those trade shows. I think that was some of the first gigs I did with them. Um, yeah, great. You know, just providing entertainment on the stand when people were coming in to check out the gear and everything. And, um, yeah, in character – mingling with people, playing tunes. I'd come up with games. I, I love games. I've always loved physical sort of games. So I'd come up with different sort of unique games and just sort of run them by Spurter. And that's actually what I loved about those guys at that time. They'd sort of – I'd sort of say, what's the parameters on this gig, you know, here to here, like the old fish, measuring the fish. Spurter goes about there. I'm like, okay, no sea bombs, no this. <laughs> I, I'd sort of know from what, what he would say and that would be it. Whereas now if I do a corporate gig, I'll get 10 pages of what I can and, and can't, can't say really? and then have to sign it wow. and send it back. Yeah, because the You'd people be in they trouble, have – Woody, I reckon. Well, uh, yeah, I'd be <laughs> fucked for sure. Hey, I was just trying to – just to, I was trying to find this thing on social media, on Instagram. I read it just to interrupt. History, it's a history page. They're talking about a Finnish uh, ski, army ski patrol guy. He got surrounded by Russian troops with his uh, <laughs> platoon. <laughs> First known, uh, they had uh, methamphetamines. So he's getting chased wow. by this on, on skis, cross-country skis, getting chased. He's lost his platoon. He ends up having a handful of tablets that are pure methamphetamines. Skis 100 miles, escapes the Russians five times. Went blacked out, didn't even know what he did. He ended up being 110 miles away from where he started the race after he had. Is this how Ben Cousins won the Brownlow? It's how yeah, he actually right. played most of his career. It's almost sounded like an endorsement. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm trying to, I want to read you the actual – The story's amazing. But anyway, I know that's a bit off course, but I just, no, I just clicked on the yeah, cross-country yeah. ski. Sorry to go random on you, but it was fucking a crazy story. Mate, with, yeah. with DJ Eddie though, yeah, like yeah. Take, take me into this. How did that come about? Yeah, the alter like, ego. Where does that come from within your personality and, and is it an outlet for you? Um. Well, yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely an outlet. Um. And – yeah, you know, my, like my folks, my dad's a real funny guy. He he, he sort of always has cracked me up. Um, folks have always been involved in the arts, being sort of hippies and really interested in art and stuff. You know, and I always loved – I love Norman Gunston. I love Borat, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen and yeah. all that stuff. So I, I, was, I was always sort of interested in it, but I, I'm going it, to – it's not – Something I never studied performing art or acting. My brother's an actor. He, Is he? he? Yeah, he acts in films and um, does TV series and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I guess the thing with Eddie is living at the the snow. I had there was a hotel I used to work at. A guy, um, Alan Faithful, who is actually related to Ned Kelly in a bizarre. It's another yeah, story, boy. but but yeah, yeah, one of the faithfuls. They were horse rustlers with the with the Kelly gang, and he he had a hotel at Mount Hotham. So I used to do a jam night for him, where I we'd get musicians to come in, and you know I I play drums, so I'd play drums, and we get different people in. Guys come to the you know for a holiday. Oh, bring me fucking trumpet, you know, and they play <laughs> trumpet, piano, accordion, whatever, and people would all join in. Great nights, like Ash used to come, a whole lot of other people just. Great nights at Hotham and he, he was a lovely guy, quite a philanthropist actually in some ways when I think about Herbie who he, he now lives in Canada. But he used to just love having people in his pub, which during the day was a very nice 
place to go and have a good meal and kind of a little bit upper class. Yeah. But at night, he wanted to sort of, you know, pull the tablecloths off and get Cheeky people nude. barn burner. Yeah, yeah, barn burner. <laughs> that's, that's it. Walk yeah, out with well. one of your fucking ski stocks up your ass. Oh, totally. Crazy that's, shit. That's what he was like. Herbie was unreal. He, Eight Jägermeisters later and you oh, fall out was, the window. He loved it. That was the first spot I saw Jägermeister and Red Bull and that. He had all that stuff going on. Lovely guy. But anyway, he got me to do this jam night. I used to dress up as a cl- – that was one of my first characters. Was a clown used to wear one of my grandma's dresses that I kept. <laughs> yeah, and I had these two teeth uh, made out of rubber, and I used to wear you know those water polo sort of helmets. Yeah, yeah. I used to wear one of them. So, and his name was Clivis, the the clown. Which I don't know if you guys are familiar up here. We've got him in Victoria. I'm not sure, but it's a composting toilet system called Clivis Multrum. <laughs> so when I used to sit, yeah, I used to sit on the compost toilet and see the name Clivis Multrum and it's one of those ones you put the sawdust and everything yeah, like yeah, a yeah. festival toilet and I used to see it and I'm going, that's what I'm going to call my, t- my, clown. my clown, Clivis. And Clivis was a clown but he was also a bit um, – oh, he, he was a bit retroactive. He'd almost gone back uh, in into a sort of another state where he, he liked doing things that were sort of subversive. Like he, he ate poo. He liked eating poo, like human <laughs> poo and stuff. So I used to make these fake poos out of chocolate and like with marshmallow and stuff inside like Rocky Road sort of stuff yeah. and like eat them while I was on stage and pretend getting them out of my undies and stuff. <laughs> so that was that character I did for the jam nights. But then, look, we were going through this era and I don't want to hack on cover bands or DJs from that era, but it was a pretty – I thought it was crook. I used to go out, like going out for a dance and everything, but they'd have these DJs from Melbourne – and then cover bands. There was one called Head Injuries, which is the Midnight Oil cover band, and um, Scar Tissue, which I think was the um, uh, Chili Peppers. Chili Peppers. Yeah. yeah, and there were a few different ones like that. And a couple of them were good musicians, but they were terrible bands, really. And there was this whole thing that seemed to be what was locked into the snow. And I, I went to Herbie and I said to who, where I was doing the jam night at his bar, and I said, I want to do an, I want to DJ and stuff. And he goes, Can you DJ? Do you know what you're doing and that? And I said, yeah, I've got a massive collection of vinyl records because my dad was a jazz nut and I love jazz and hip-hop and collecting vinyl records and had a record player. I couldn't DJ, but I had the stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I want to do this night. And I said, and I've got an idea for a character. And Herbie's like, what do you mean? He said, like, Clivis. And I said, no, nah, you couldn't do that as a DJ thing. I said, but I've got a character who's he's sort of a bit like a ski instructor from the 80s or 70s and his name's Eddie, which is my middle name. Edward, yeah, and I used to hate it when crew at school called me Eddie. Eddie, they go Eddie, and I, oh, I go, oh, why did I get that sort of royal fucking middle name? <laughs> hated it. So I thought, oh, use the thing that you hate as the thing you love, and use it. So I used it as, um, yeah, as Eddie. And I said to him, I got this character, and Herbie's like, it sounds way out there. When do you want to do it? He said, you can pick a night of the week. So I said, on Sunday. He goes, I don't know if that's going to work on a Sunday. And I said, what sort of change over day? People coming in and out, the staff will come, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so I did my first one. I had uh, one record player I borrowed off him. I got my other one from Melbourne. Had the record players, vinyl records. And I was playing like rare funk, soul, disco and stuff like that. Did the character. On the first gig, I didn't say much. Um, just got just the music there. done. Just there was more the music, said a few little bits and pieces and people were coming in going, this guy, yeah, this is all right. And it was staff mainly on the first night. But just after the first night, it sort of kicked and people were saying, oh, you should come out to this staff night. Sunday and, sesh. Yeah. And as soon as you get a Sunday sesh or a staff night where you've got staff, who wants to come? The tourist. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, that's the night. That's on the, the cool mountain. night, yeah. Exactly. So they started coming. Herbie was like, that was a pretty good night, like the second or third one we did. He goes, I really liked it. And I was like, okay. And he said, let's keep it going. So that's kind of where that started. And I think it might have even been Spurter or one of the guys from Quickie who came to one of those nights and offered me some of my first gigs and said, yeah, would you come and do a trade show? Um, Which eventually led into me coming up doing, I think I did like 10 years of Quickie Quickie Pro. Pro. Yeah, which you probably came to some of them. Yeah. Yeah, the ones at the – and where they built that incredible um, marquee and that out virtually over the high tide line there. Yeah had those Roxy parties and quickie parties in there and then all sorts of different ones in the hotel there. They, they really were amazing times and I love doing those parties, so just top times. No, no, no uh, money 
spared either really they oh, no. go big yeah on had fantastic things. budgets yeah. for yeah. for drinks and um you know and the whole fruit setup platters. the whole setup fruit was, platters. oh yeah. i love the fruit platters <laughs> yeah yeah and you know the sponsors used to get involved in that some because i used to i always had this funny thing where i used to like involving sponsors but not in the normal way and sometimes they'd shy away from it's better to go i don't know about using that yogurt in your jokes and that like i just don't know if that's a, like 5 a.m yogurt i think it was sponsored <laughs> for a while and i was like yeah but we can use it at night for these ideas or I'll butter it on toast or something and they'd be like, I don't know. But in the end, a few of the sponsors come around and said, no, we actually really like that yeah. you're using the yogurt. And I was – remember when all the Brazos were really into – what's that stuff out of the seeds they make and you and you have it for energy? They make like yogurt out of it? What's it oh, called? Oh, acai. Yeah. Acai, acai bowls. Yeah, all yeah. those guys, Medina and that had that and it was free in the surface area and because I had the pass – I had heaps of it and I was just eating it and I didn't realise it was like coffee. It was making me feel like fall a fucking off the, psychopath. Fall off the desk. And young Leo and that was sponsored by Red Bull. They were just sculling it and eating those, that assay ice stuff. It was out of control. I couldn't believe how much energy I have. I mean, I'd have to sleep in next day because it had just drained me but it was tying in the sponsors. I, I found that stuff and it sort of tied in with my games. I, I liked doing that thing of tying the sponsors in with – Sort of funny games and unique things. Like our ads. Similar yeah. to that shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't want them, but we fucking did. Them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you can make mistakes for sure. Yeah. Like I've made mistakes where people have come and said, you should not have done that. <laughs> no way. That you wake up the next morning oh. and you got a letter under your door. Yeah. I did, I did one actually at the Melbourne Cup um, <laughs> doing a gig for Cadbury Schweppes. And I was, I do, yeah, I was doing Eddie. I was, that was the character that day and working with my brother. And no, I wasn't. I was doing Trevor, which is a pommy. You've seen Trevor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor. He's yeah. a pommy, like a pommy sort of raver who's really a bit speedy, just kind of crazy guy. <laughs> can, you so give us, give, give give, can you give us one line of Trevor? Give us a Trevor, yeah. Yeah, give us a Fucking well. Trevor's like, yeah, trying to play. What are you doing? You guys in Ballon are living in the ghetto. It's fucking mental. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go to the Shawsy. Let's go, Shawsy. Fucking get crazy. <laughs> so that's, that's what he, he's like. He's on all the time, just flat out. I remember doing it a couple of times. Oh, We've, yeah, we fun. It was I great think, fun. Yeah, great right. fun. But how we, many have you got, mate? Have you got how many sort of alter egos you sort of bounce into? Trevor, regularly? Eddie. It's probably half a dozen, but Clivis. Trevor, Trevor, Eddie, and RJ, which is a Calif- uh, yeah. like a California. RJ character. is the oh, one. Can you yeah, give us one, RJ. yeah, give us an RJ. <laughs> <laughs> just the accent. <laughs> Hey, bro. You know, RJ's <laughs> like he's just like one of those Californian guys who you meet him and you're like, oh. I can't put up with this guy. But an hour later, you're like, I actually like you, bro. Your arms around him are like, I like RJ. But at the start, crew were like, oh, you're one of those sepos who want to punch you in the face. Get out of here. I the One of the first so – I think my first one, Mo, was 2007 and I didn't really – I was like sort of sitting far away from that. But the next year, he was – is RJ. I had no idea he was Australian. I fucking the whole time from when we rocked up to the lighthouse car park to the whole day to then when I think we were at like Lennox pub or somewhere for the after party and he goes, how are you, mate? <laughs> like, that was a sick day. And I was like, who are you? I'm, I'm looking around going, fuck, I thought you were American. He goes, no, 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 I'm Australian. I was just fucking around. Just, That's the ultimate compliment though. Yeah. It is, exactly. It is the ultimate compliment. Yeah. I was dead set thought he was American. Yeah. Even Nat said that year. Nat, and Nat uh, Johnson, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah Johnson, pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty loose. Nat's pretty loose and doesn't it, with this whole thing when he started it up yeah. here and said the whole thing. He pretty much doesn't say anything to me about you can't do that, you can do this. One day he said to me, he goes, you, "You've got to back off a bit of the Mick Fanning stuff and that and stuff about Slater being the best." Nat, he goes, "Seriously, this guys up here, they'll fucking they'll come, they'll punch you in the back of the head." And, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, "No," I said, "You got to be kidding, Nat." And he goes, "No, I'm serious." He goes, it's "Too much," because I just kept going on stuff called Mick Fanning, uh, Mick Fanning, the Scottish surfer, and just coming out with <laughs> stupid shit. And no, like Mick, I, I know Mick a bit. Yeah, and he'd laugh he's at that. totally yeah, fine. But there were a few guys up here uh, after they'd had twenty. What do you call them? Mango. Those mangoes. Yeah. Forex. They'd had them and they were on the beach and it was hot and they were starting to go, this Seppo is starting to do it. We're going to get a leg rope, <laughs> tie it round, drag him out on North Wall because they were just like, it's just we can't cope with it. And that's like, well, he's actually in character. He's not American. They're like, that guy's American and he's giving shit to the greatest surfer in the world, Mick Fanning. This is not going to happen. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, I don't really think I need to back it off now. I feel like I've dug the hole pretty deep already, you know. It's like... <laughs> so what's your recollection of the history of, uh, of Movember? If we move on to Movember and – how it came about, uh, relationship with Nat. 
um, and how it's evolved. Yeah, okay. No, great. Uh, well, I ha- I only met Nat because uh, someone at Quickie said to him, if you, it, he, he came up with the dream. He came up with the idea because he loves Morning of the Earth, as, as we all do, even people who are non-surfers, surfers, people from back in the era right through to now. I mean, Morning of the Earth, to me, I only just watched it again the other day and it's a, it's a beautiful film. It's incredible, the production of it, everything about it. So when he, he rang me and I think Eden was with him and a couple of the other crew from up here and most of them I'd never met before and he organised a meeting in, the, in Melbourne in the city and said, yeah, want to meet up. I heard from some of the guys at Quickie that you've got this character, Eddie. We want to do this thing with Movember to, to raise um, – uh, money and uh, like ideas about men's health and have have fun with the whole thing and I want to do this surf comp and get legends back I want to pay respect to uh, morning of the earth and call it morning of the mo and he actually ran that through the guys like Brocky and all the other guys he ran it past them because he said you know those guys created that thing and he ran it past them and at the start they just went no you cannot do that no way you can't use the fonts you can't nothing and then I think it just took a little bit of back and forth and maybe a few of you guys from up here, there were people maybe even, I can't remember exactly, it might have been Gunter and some of the other crew talked about it and said, they're not actually trying to take any money away from the brand or anything. All they're doing is this thing. And once Brocky and some of the other crew from Money the Earth realised it. It would have been Albie and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Albie. Yeah, they went, okay. Yeah. And said yes. And that, so that first year when Peter Webb did the artwork for the first one, I think with the wave breaking, yeah, looked yeah. like a moustache. Yeah, they said we could use part of the font and call it Morning of the Mo. And a couple of them, the first one we ever did at, at the old piggery at Byron Bay, I think uh, Brocky and Chris Brock and one of the other guys came. Maybe Brad Myers, Tommy yeah. Peterson, I think, came. Tommy had Tommy's been to a few of them, yeah. But yeah. there were two other guys who were in the film, and I know Brocky came and one other guy. I've got a photo of it, but yeah, they came as well, which was incredible, of course. You know yeah. those guys, and and being from Victoria as well, because all that era and everything that happened in surfing was from up here, and that whole connection between here and Bali and Greeno, the whole thing, quite a, quite amazing. So that essentially, it, it was Nat Johnson reaching out to me, and he had connection with uh, Trav, who can't come up this year, but he's – Trav and Lucky were the first guys who started Movember. And, um, he, yeah, he had a connection with them through Quicksilver and some of the boardies they were doing for Movember and some of the tie-ins. And he, uh, he just asked me, he said, would you do this gig up here in, in Ballina? That's where I'm from. Um, he'd come down basically as an intern, I think, to work for Quickie. Worked his way up. He's head creative now for Quicksilver World. Just moved from France back to um, Huntington Beach. And um, doing doing it there, yeah. So, and he hasn't been back for a few years because of the lockdowns and everything. He w- he would dearly love to be back here. He um, just wrote to me before, just saying, "Fuck, I wish I was there." Yeah, yeah. He always he's missed it for a few years, but when he comes back, it'll obviously be um, really special. But that that was the impetus. That's how it started. Yeah, that's a few things just differently on the first few events, or first few events like over the first few years. Guy behind us won the first event, 2006. Johnny Hewitt was the winner. The great Johnny yeah. Hewitt. Great Johnny yeah, Hewitt. Yes. Still got the winner's board. We've had a, had a surf on that a few times. Also, the party. So the Prezzo slash party was the night before the comp. Yeah. So it wasn't the night. <laughs> Are you kidding? So yeah. you'd go. Jeez. So the comp Imagine was always on, uh, on a Sunday. You'd go out Saturday night yep. and just torch absolutely it. torch it and then go to the comp the next day. So people would be asleep under towels and miss their heats. It was funny few years there. It was a radical idea when I'd never even seen that in the snow industry, anything where yeah. you have a massive party and then have the event the next day. It was like even I think it was Hoyo who came out of one heat and he walked up, he had like one of those zip-up vests and he was standing there. He goes, Eddie, my chest is so sore, brother. It's fucked. I smoked a packet of C's last night. He goes, are you the stupid cunt who thought of having the party the night before the event? And I said, no, I don't know where that came from, but we just did it. And he goes, yeah, you know what? Change it. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, he was just like – and it, it sort of was right. I mean, it was unique, but I think it was too much. Didn't oh. – didn't – didn't. Uh, I think there was heats where there was like no one in the heat. Yeah. Like, just one dude just, to go and out and, and you're like, you know it's no, your heat right now and they're no just all lying there. on the beach like, yeah, I don't fucking care. I'm just going to lie here. Yeah, like people <laughs> were missing the heats because they were asleep in the car. And so it's obviously grown a lot of legs and uh, it's uh, well and truly entrenched in the calendar every year in uh, in November. What's, what's November mean to you now? 
Um, well, it's it, it's changed over the years a lot in in what um, what Movember is. I mean, where where it it has changed direction itself because it started off being about prostate cancer and and other things to do with men's health, where men like my dad and me to some extent and other people just don't go to the doctor or worry about things to do with their own health, whether it be mental or sort of physical. But I mean, there's so many other things that it's got into. I mean, you know, there'd be so many things now that you couldn't make jokes about essentially, especially up here, you guys have been through floods and all sorts of things, even those years where, you know, with Webby's mate and the things to do with people getting bitten badly by sharks and stuff. You couldn't, you know, you you have to choose your sort of jokes and some things you can make light of, it'll make it better for people, but you have to be incredibly careful with that stuff. And I think that was one of the things that Trav and the the guys from Movember and, and everyone that heads it up now has sort of said to me and it's the fine line that I walk sometimes whether it's with a company or whether you're with Movember but very much so with Movember is that you you're trying to make a difference you're trying to change things for people and for how they feel about everyday life because not every day I mean I mean a lot of you guys and everyone in the water when I come up here and everyone's unreal they're so welcoming and love having me up here but that's one day of the year like Mossy call Mossy calls it Christmas for adults. <laughs> he, he, and 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 that's what I want. I want it's when I DJ, when I do anything. I want people to have the greatest time they can in that time. But still, I'm the same too. I have to get up, I have to pick up dog shit off the my back lawn, I have to make sure my kids are okay, pay for their fillings, you know. Yeah. Make sure everything's going on. We're all we're all the same. We're all made out of the same stuff, no matter who we are. Some people are poor, some people are wealthy, and I think that Movember, I like the democratisation of health and wealth and a whole lot of things to do with, with especially now with mental health. And I think that was one of the things I was talking to Woody and a few of the other guys there. It might have been Gunter as well a few years ago because Gunter took a while to warm to me. He couldn't quite work it out at the start. He's edgy. And then, yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't know, even at the start I didn't know who he was and I was making ridiculous jokes about shapers and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. And he come up. He come up one time and was sort of like, you know, I thought he was going to clip me on the ear and then I realised someone said, that is going to run. And I was like, no way. And so started, you know, a bit of a friendship. But, I mean, I think that's one of the things I've, I've, I've never cared about age. I'll talk to, you know, babies, dogs, your mates, Jack Russell, a guy who's 90 at the pub. I love talking to people of different ages. And I think that's one of the things that it, it sort of, it hit home to me that sort of stuff where you don't exclude anyone and nah. you don't judge anyone. Because everyone's anyone. got a cool story too. Exactly. Yeah. You, you meet people. I like I travel on the train a lot because I don't drive a car. I haven't got a car license. And I travel on the train heaps and I meet radical people on the train all the time. I'll go on, I don't know what line up here is the bad line, but, you know, probably East Balliner is it or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That we we actually don't have one. But if you – the, 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 line, the line we have now is – uh, Byron Main Street to the other end of Byron. So it's about 500 metres. That's our only train line <laughs> at this stage. Oh, yeah, because it used to come up here, didn't yeah. it? And then they yeah. come – yeah. When yeah. I was – I used to get the train from uh, Lismore to Byron every week. So weekend. is there scary – like there's a train line you just don't get on, even though it's a, probably a quick – What's line. the suburb? Is it Frankston out there? Yeah, Fra- Frankston. That's great. You know <laughs> that. You're up here. Yeah, oh, Fra- it's only whenever I hear about something going on in down there, it's usually yeah. surrounding Frankston. Yeah, everyone talks – everyone talks about um, – the Frankston line, yeah. yeah. And I, after we moved from the farm, I lived down just just near Frankston, so I used to travel on the train a lot. And yeah, and you know, it's it's nowhere near as bad now, but used to be gnarly. And it's the end of the line, so you got that thing yeah. where there's dealers hanging around, and it's it's there's some rad stuff goes on. Actually, funny tie in with the DJ world, Frankston, and the whole mental health thing. Carl Cox bought a house in Frankston, one of the biggest yeah, yeah, yeah. DJs in yeah. the world. Yeah. And he was going to buy a house. Like he loves Australia. He's got mates, um, other mates who are DJs here, um, and and they do Carl uh, Eric Powell, who's a great DJ as yeah. well, and Freddie Negro. And so they do these Carl and Eric's those barbecues where they do over summer. They do these big events on the beach, like where yeah. Fisher played. Yeah, yeah. Same spot, Katani yeah. Gardens. And they That's do this big, Kilda, eh? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on the gardens on the beach. Awesome spot. Anyway, he he wanted to buy a house in Australia, and he was looking in Portsea and Lawn and places with expensive houses and you know the guy's one of the greatest DJs in the world he's got plenty of money he looked around he went to Frankston and people like why did you go to Frankston no one wants to go there and he goes well there's this hill this big hill called Oliver's Hill with beautiful houses on it and he goes the houses are like 900,000 a million bucks he bought it like 20 years ago and he goes the other places the house are three million dollars and I like it it looks out over the water it's pretty good so he bought a house there 
Because he was just like, yeah, this is a sick spot. And he goes, man, he goes, I'm from the UK. He goes, these people are not tough. They're fine. He goes, I'm down with this. It's fine. <laughs> and crew come, young DJs come around knocking on his door going, are you Carl Cox? And he comes in and goes, how do you find out my address, you fucker? <laughs> and they come around, come around knocking on his door. But he bought that house there just because he didn't make any judgment. He was just like, I yeah. like it. It's near the water. And then, you know, since then, obviously things have changed. The houses are expensive everywhere. You look over the water. But it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool the way Great he bought, story. bought the house Unreal. there. Yeah. Carl Cox thinking right in real estate. We'll get <laughs> yeah, real estate mogul. Uh, this is a part of the podcast where we uh, we have a bit of fun, uh, DJ Eddie. Yeah. Uh, it's called the ball bag. Okay, the ball and, bag. Yeah, the ball bag. And James is in the mood you're in today, James. I think it's very apt that you lead us off. All right, I got one. This one for November. You've been – you've only missed two in however nearly 20 years. What's your – is there a fondest memory or is there a funniest moment in all the all the Movembers you've been a part of? Can you remember uh, anything that's funniest of, member from up or me- memory, you know, like maybe fun- when Grimace pulled my pants down <laughs> at the first one. Because I had those tiny little pink shorts on and Grimace dacked me in front of a full dance floor with a lot of women and men all dancing down. <laughs> and I just left my pants down. Nat Johnson's like, I have never seen anything like that. Why didn't you pull your pants straight up? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, dack me, expect me to pull them back up. That made me laugh. <laughs> All right, speak, me, keep going, keep going. Sorry. No, no, meet, and meeting um, Ryan Haywood, we went, me and Nat went and picked him up from Ballina Airport. He was shooting skatey photos and that, hadn't done anything. Meeting him and just a couple of those first ones especially. And when the guy caught the fish, that was that made me laugh a Marcus Abudi. Marcus Abudi, yeah. Jumped off his board. And caught a fish. Landed in, in his heat and caught... Picked yep. up a brim out of the fucking water. I think he got kidding? a. I think he got a ten for that. Yep, he did. He did get a ten. It was quite a big, quite a big oh, fish a too. Hundred pointer. Quite a big fish. <laughs> Incredible. North Shelley, I think that was. And also, um, I think it was Troy Brooks when he that that some guys went out. It might have been you in that inflatable swimming pool. You oh, that was that her. Pool. No, I think maybe. No, no, no. They had an inflatable swimming pool. There's four of them in it. They might have had a bong in there and some beers and they, they got it through and it was reasonably big waves. They got it out the back and then Troy Brooks caught a wave, did like an ollie almost That's up right. onto the side of it, like like a rail site, and then jumped in and landed in with and cracked a beer in there. He got a 10 for that as well. And that was <laughs> that. Pro- that was so progressive. That was before any of those freaks were towing things out to try, you know, that yeah. stupid thing the where ra- they were trying to rail slide in yeah. there, surfing that. Who was doing that? That was mental. Ah, fuck. There was Some a, of those Sydney freaks. Yeah, just surf skate crew. But I know. Davo, maybe Davo. No, nah, it was, ah, uh, fuck. It was maybe Steads and that. Steadman, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, they were doing that and trying to think it was going to be legitimate, which it never was. It was a mental idea. They were just getting smashed. Yeah. But Troy Brooks, he he pre, sort of pre-did that. Rail slide in, into a, a Into a float into the raft. Yeah. That was that was really funny and heaps of stuff on the beach like the nude race we have the nude hundred meters which I sort of came up with because you know they have the well, mad, madman's mile. You're hung stuff. like a well hung plowboy, aren't you? Oh, not well, <laughs> not 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 really. That's not that's like I, I know you're going to go. To I'm going to go Dick, there. I know you're going to go there, but that's not re- really what dick tricks are about. But anyway, yeah, I love seeing guys in the nude having a running race. I think it brings men together. And there's a couple of cracking stories from that. There's one where. I think it was maybe 2013 or 14, Johnny, and they did the we did the nude race, and someone ran down and took all our shit. Oh, that's where, right. At the start line, and yep. just fucking ran off up the beach and threw it in the bush. bush. And by that stage, we were, I just think we just walked. A few of us just walked around for a while. Just yeah, nude. yeah. Just walked up through. And the then rocks there was and yeah, and, and then the there was a, another time. Dano Bellato got a photo in full flight running. And you can just barely see his cock. It's just the fucking funniest photo. And he's probably hating me saying this, but he had the photo and he was like one of those ones he'd look at it for motivation. Now he's like, I don't think he'll ever run in the nude race I know how he's feeling. I did it the first year. And I fucking looked around on the starting line. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? doing?" It can be like that. You definitely don't want to line up with the wrong crew because otherwise you're like, oh, fuck, I might just go for a swim and walk into the water. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we offer the option of you can – I mean, there has to be a little bit like a horse race or something where, you know, you're carrying extra weight, but you can wear your jocks if you want to. And when we had kids involved, we sort of had Yeah, yeah. I said if kids want – because kids did want to go in it. And I said, you've got to wear your undies. You can't have kids running around in a nude like that. Remember the one we did at Lennox when they – Concreted the path, yeah, and the little kid fell over and skinned his knees. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. oh, it was so heavy. 
Because he really wanted to go in it, so his dad's like, "All right, you got to win." Was that Webby? It might have been Woody Webster or Reef or something. Woody Webster. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was. He really wanted to go in it. He went in it and he stubbed his toe and then fell forward and skinned his knees on that concrete path at Lennox. And I was just, I felt so bad. I stand there at the finish line. Everyone's like, "Oh, he'd be all right." A little bit of bark off and that. And I was looking at him with the blood just in his undies, all like that (laughs) on the ground. I was like, "Oh, that's heavy." All right, my last one. Yep. Sunday sesh at Hotham. Who you picking? Three, three bands dead or alive. Three DJs dead or alive. Who would you have for your Sunday sesh? That's okay, so can can be anyone. Can be your favourite acts of all time. Who would I you have? Know. And you can be, just be the MC and let these guys do it. Who you who you having for the three bands? And it can be the last weekend of the season, so it's your big fucking barn burner. Wow, incredible. Oh. Well, we were talking about Carl Cox before, because I wouldn't mind Carl Cox yeah, to come up. I'd be up. there for yeah. that. He had, a, he had a house down in Myrtleford for a while down in the valley and he hasn't eaten a hamburger at the general store at Hotham where I play. He's yes. been up there. So, yeah, have to – like, so Carl Cox, uh, oh, maybe in excess. I'd love to see Michael yes. reanimated. I mean, what a beautiful human being. Very sad that he passed away under those circumstances. Um, so, yeah, maybe in excess. Don't have to tell you I love your precious heart Oh, I tell you, who's touring at the moment? Groove Armada. Let's say oh, Groove Armada. Sick. Put them in because they're, they're in Perth. Super styling. Rise and amplifying when we come in with this swing. Just following the pattern, naturally harmonizing. Climbing to position, we synchronize the heat. Live from outer ghetto, we maximize it. Sound of the Groove Armada, we super styling. I don't know the rest of the shit, but... That'd be a good triple, I reckon. Yeah. I'd be happy with that. I'd be there. Yeah. Sing. Unreal. I've got about 10, but... um. Mate, let's just start. Puppetry of the Penis, one of the most famous shows, like the Tour It Around. Yeah. You're instrumental in that. Well, not really instrumental. This it, It's like... So I told you before how I was living in St. Anton um, in, in Austria, and I was over there in the early 90s. Yeah, and look, Austria is a very different country to Australia and Australia's a branded, no matter what type of person you are, you're branded when you get there yeah. as – What is it? Piss dickhead kind yeah, of Yeah, just – yeah, kind of a piss dickhead. And, the, no, no, they have a bit of a sliding scale and I don't want to say that they're racist, but they are racist. Yep. <laughs> and so it starts, it starts up with Morocco and sort of Africa and runs right down through Turkish. And, uh, you know, menial tasks, washing dishes, cleaning floors, cleaning up poo and that, that's all done by those people. And there's not many places in the world where I think you can go as an Australian where you are included with those people as a privileged white guy. I'm yeah. included with those people. So you live with Turkish, Austrian, uh, Moroccans, Africans, and you do the jobs with them, which was great. I mean, they're fucking unreal. They're the same as you and me. They're great people. They work. But you de- you're living in a town which is very rich and they make a lot of money off tourism, but they don't want to do those sort of jobs. So they're all landed on you to do those jobs. So – you, you just get a bit sick of all the rules and the way they tar you with the brush and stuff like that. And me and my brother met a guy from Sydney actually called Spod and he had this thing called the wristwatch where he used to just tell you the time by – and he used to do it to the Austrians. So they'd say, oh, do you know the time? And he'd wrap his penis uh, – denominates the woman of the house. And, yeah, there's so many rules. You weren't allowed to have friends sitting on your bed and couldn't use toilet paper if they visited because it cost extra money and just all these stupid rules. <laughs> just crazy, you know, for especially for Australians or anyone else because we were having fun and they weren't basically. Yeah. So we were like, right, let's ramp up the dick tricks. So we started the Australian Dick Trick Association and we made these little <laughs> – Association? The association, yeah, and it look it, – The ADA. It, yeah, it wasn't, it, it wasn't really associated, of course, but – we just did it. And my brother and Spod and these other guys, I was living in another village uh, called Petnoy and they were up near Zoos, actually where Lady Di and Prince Charles used to ski. They used to wave to her from the hotel. They used to wave to Lady Di. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Whilst doing a dick trick? 
I, look, I think a bit of that might have gone on. I'm not sure. But <laughs> she, she had a fair bit of security with her. You had to be pretty careful with all those sort of crew. And the Saudi princess would ski up there and that. It was real. It was like St. Moritz. Yeah. But um, they so they started it, and th- and there was some irony within that as well. Like they're doing dick tricks in a place where you've got Lady Di and the wealthiest <laughs> ski resort in the world, and there's these Aussies who haven't got much money who are washing dishes in a pizzeria or a Austrian, you know, schnitzel bar, and um, doing dick tricks. But the little badges they made up the association, we made up these little badges, like little paper ones written with texter, and it had the name of each trick. So Spod and Russ from Sydney had a couple of tricks and we started coming up different one like um, Uluru, Dramana Driving, <laughs> you know, all the different – we just – the hamburger, the hot dog, all different ones started coming up with them. And so we put the little sign but we started – it was the back in the days of film cameras. There were no phones with cameras and that. So we'd nick a camera if there was if you're at a party at a lodge or something and then scroll off all the shots, like take it into the dunny and do it. One guy would hold the badge there and you'd do all the tricks, <laughs> shoot it and then just put the camera back. So when people would go and get their roll of film back, <laughs> 30 <laughs> shots of dick tricks. And it started getting around town, the woman who ran the chemist. Oh. We'd be like, there's these filthy shots coming in. Guys <laughs> oh, they would print them. Yeah, she'd be printing them out. And the Danish girls and other crew would be like, you fuck it. you stole my camera, you took shots of your penis. <laughs> We'd be like, well, it's actually sculptures. We're turning into a sculptural thing. And that's how that's how we started off. And anyway, because of where we used to go to school, um, down near Frankston, there were a couple of guys there, Friendy and Simon Morley, and they were the guys who started Puppetry of the Penis. So they um, – did a calendar, I think, and a film called Tackle Happy. But that was when they – yeah, it's a good name. It's a great, it is a great it's name a for great it, Tackle name. Happy. Yeah, it's a great name for it. But we used to just do it in pubs and stuff. I mean, we got asked a few times that we did it for hen's nights and a few things like that, but never really took it that seriously. But Friendy and Simon Morley, I mean, they were right into it and they it took it and, you know, they went to – oh, they went overseas all over the place doing it and made it really big. And, and, and look – my brother got a little bit twisted about it. He was like, oh, they fucking ripped us off with that dick trick thing, man. We should have made money out of it. But you know what? I I really didn't care that much. I was like, yeah, it was kind of funny, but I'm not kind of that interested in it, you know. I want to be Prime Minister one day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't so really want to fly yeah. around the world no. doing the hamburger for exactly, fucking yeah. six years. And when they, can't, when they said, look, we're going to the UK and we're going to tour it, we're going to take it to the West and we're going to do it in America, I said – you guys are mental. Do not do dick tricks in America. You'll get your cock shot off. That's what – someone will pull out a handgun yeah, in America. It. And they did have some null. I think really? they went on Jay Leno or something and they had rednecks and people think it was gay or whatever, just come up with ridiculous ideas and wanted to kill them. Yeah. And I said that's going to happen in America for sure. Oh, in America, 100%. UK, it went off. They loved it. <laughs> get they your fucking it. dick out, mate. Let's see. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking t- Uluru. <laughs> Friendy told me one of the best stories ever. And look, this might not be exactly right, but it's the way I remember it. They were doing the show on the West End, which sold out. I think they did it for a couple of months. Um, their agent came to them after they knocked off on the night on the West End and said, uh, there's some clients who want you to come who've got an antique shop in Coventry or some area, just area of London um, and selling really high-end stuff. They've got A-list sort of people who are coming. Would you come and just do a 15-minute dick trick show for like £2,000 each or whatever the fee was? It was a good fee. And they're like, yeah, unreal, great. We'll get to go and hang out, have some champagne. So they went there and this is this is the lineup who was there. So there was like Sting, <laughs> Sting, Sting, Elton John. Fuck, Elton was Unreal. there for Elton sure. Elton was there. He loved oh. it. They said he was so funny. They said one of the funniest guys I've ever met. The yeah, jokes he had were ridiculous. Um, uh, Hugh Grant. Wow. Yeah. Um, Naomi Campbell. Like it was it was triple A list. Yeah. So anyway, they did the show and everything like that. Um, went down real well. They said Elton was coming out with some like great jokes like, ooh, look at that one and just coming out with these <laughs> great, great jokes. They said he was all time. Like They said he was just so funny, some of the jokes. Not – Typically what you would expect him to say, but just really good joke. Oh, Bono was there as well. Bono and Fuck the Edge. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. But then they said afterwards that when they so, – because they wear, they wear cloaks and sunnies and that. You've probably seen it and their sneakers and had, you know, some of their sponsors involved. But they packed up and, that, and then they said that Hugh Grant um, came up to them and said, now look, boys, do you – look – when I'm at home sometimes or I'm in the hotel if I'm travelling, I, I do some dick tricks in the mirror 
And Friendy was like, fuck off, you're kidding me, mate. I don't, <laughs> don't believe you. And he's like, no, I've got a couple of dick tricks that I do and I'd like, would it be okay if I just sort of showed you one? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> off. In, in the, in the, uh, like the antique shop still with the other guests around, but they were just in a little corner. No one else could see. So he's like, hit me, Hugh, with your best. So he did it. He pulled his nuts out and pulled his penis out to the side, went like that. And he goes, I call it the crumbed cutlet. So he saw it. He sort of got his scrotum and pulled it up over his penis and made like the little end of a cutlet, like a lamb cutlet. And then his penis was, was the bone sticking out of it. Yeah. And he had it, and they were laughing their head off. But Friendy said he pointed to it and he goes, What's going on with the underneath? Of your scrotum there, it's really, it's like a different colour because, you know, some people, yeah. it's, it can be a different colour and apparently it was so dark, like tanned, like a thing like that, it really made it look like crumb cutlet. And he's like, oh, isn't everyone's like that? And Friendy got his out and he goes, well, no, look at mine. He goes, oh, yours is quite a lot lighter actually. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, yours, look, that looks like a well done sort of crumb cutlet. He goes, that's a great trick. Great dick trick. I can't believe he did it. And he showed him and like, I don't know how much truth's in that, but I re- it's a, you couldn't That's sort of make it up. It's an amazing story. story. You couldn't sort of make it up really, could you? It's just a great story. Hugh Grant. I just sometimes Incredible. in my yeah. hotel do dick tricks in yeah. the mirror. <laughs> and can I like we all do. Can I love it? <laughs> can I show you? That's amazing. So good. Where do I go from here? Oh, I don't even know. I don't know if there's anywhere else. That's too good. That is such a good it's, story. It's an incredible story, yeah. I really hope it's 100% yes. true. Do you want me to go, Lindsay, while you read? <laughs> yeah, go, go somewhere. I've just got a pretty simple question for Condo this week. Uh, can you remember a day, like the best day you've had in the snow, wherever it was, that was backed up by a gig that night? Wow. Anywhere. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember because I do the DJ Eddie show at the general store at Hotham, which has got nightclub and everything, and that's that's where I've played there for years. Um, they have heaps of live bands, lots of DJs, all sorts of stuff. That's where I play. So I have lots of days where I'm out on the snow and skiing and doing stuff and then come in and do a show. And, yeah, you're right, you get that ultimate connection of the two. But I even remember days this year. I mean, it was so good to be coming back after a couple of years of lockdowns and pretty – Pretty harsh in in Melbourne, you know, being that long. And as a performer, I mean, essentially performing is – that's my income. Um, So I didn't have anything else sort of to fall back on. And and being locked up in your house with – kids um and and my partner and yeah just like pretty pretty full on so to come out of that even some of the gigs I did um uh, at the start of the season especially opening weekend is Queen's birthday weekend and it's a massive celebration through Australian snow world where everyone gets together if there's no snow it's often bigger parties than if there's yeah, snow because you don't people, have to get up and no, ski in the exactly morning. people yeah. go fucking mental you know it's like if there's bad surf you're like yeah, yeah just go for it 100%. So, um, yeah, just opening weekend and so many crew come out. And, you know, I'm constantly changing direction as I get older. Luckily I've got a, a real thirst for new music. I love electronic music and music from all over the world um, from different and, – and stuff that's happening now. If I didn't, I think it would be really difficult. I'd, I'd end up becoming a genre sort of um, – uh, like your retro act or something, but it's n- that's not really what I want. And I think a lot of people expect that from me, which is fine. If it's a corporate gig and someone comes to me and say, can you do DJ Eddie? We just want disco for our clients and this is what we need, a bit of comedy, da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, 100%. I love disco. I'll do that. But when I'm play- when you're playing at other places and for young crew who want to get lit up, they've- there's certain types of music that they absolutely need and genres they want to go through. So being doing the sort of comedy thing and DJing, it's a real kind of balancing act to kind of try and have fun and, and have the energy in that in that moment and, and keep it going for the few hours while you're playing. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. I think there were a couple of gigs and especially that opening weekend when heaps of young crew and other crew from, from uh, Hotham, from the lodges. And that's a th- unique thing about the snow and, and the surf in a way too. You get people from all ages come. It's not like a genre DJ who might play, you know, Enchivada or dubstep or progressive house or techno. You get specific crew from an age group and who are into that music who will go. Whereas in the snow and surf, you get, you know, from 18, 18 or 70. Yeah, yeah. Or Mossy's kids who are 14 or sneak yeah. in right through to 70 yeah. or 80 in the snow. Guys will be in there still in their ski boots. 
<laughs> They've been there since April, <laughs> just dancing around. And so you've got to really be able to jump around. So I think opening weekend had a great, great ski. There was snow on the ground and then came in and did that gig. And it just, it did, it, it felt like for me personally, I had to be careful I didn't come out of character and get over emotional because I just did really feel fantastic that I'd had a day skiing after coming out of lockdown and then played a party and people that had a good time, I felt like, yeah, this it's is – It's like a big release almost, eh? Totally. Yeah. Big release. And you know people – like sometimes a party can be the sort of thing you need to to, to pull you over a festival or a party or seeing incredible music or art can take you over into that next bit where you feel yeah. like you're, you're starting again. And I, I, I really like that about it. That's, I, that's one of the most satisfying things I like about it is when people come up and go, oh, man, I just had one of the best – kind of nights of my life just was great, great fun. Whereas I've had other young chicks come up and go, you know what, you're a fuck DJ, mate. That was terrible. And I'm like, oh, unreal, thanks. Love you. I remember I'll talk to your mum later. See you. You know, just because well, – what do you say? I don't want to get yeah, an argument. I'm not, yeah. not going to have an argument about it. You get both things and as you, you get a bit more popular or whatever, people are going to say all sorts of crazy shit yeah. about you. Barty, yeah. back to you. You've regrouped. Back to me, mate. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm regrouped. Um Alter egos, mate. We've had some crackers in Australia. I heard you mention Norman Gunston before. Yeah, I mean, yep. who are he the – give me your top three that you sort of look back to and go, geez, they, they nailed that. Um, well, Gary McDonald, Norman Gunston, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Like, when you think about what he was doing at the time, he obviously predates Sasha Baron Cohen by a long time. And doing that stuff where, you know, John Bonham and interviewing people, Carly Simon, um, <laughs> yeah. people from, you know, Kiss – Cheech and Chongs, those sort of interviews. And, I mean, it, it sits in that sort of ground where people – you've got to play with it a little bit because people – some people knew he was in character. Others were like, "Who is this, this guy could be really – could be an absolute <laughs> nutter who somehow got a show on the ABC. So I, I really <laughs> I really like that bit of ground that he sat in. And those interviews now, you still watch them now. Cheech and Chong. In, in, the Cheech and Chong one on the train is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And he did the one with Frank Zappa. Yeah, yeah, played the, the ABC Zappa one is crazy. incredible. Yeah, and I reckon people like even like, uh, I, look. I don't know, but I th- I reckon if you ask Sasha Baron Cohen, I'm sure he would have seen Norman Gunston around the world. Gary McDonald, who's the actor who does it, I'm sure. And you know him, Auntie Jack used to love the Auntie Jack show, and even some of the new stuff now. I mean, I've been watching a little bit recently of. Um, uh, what are they called? The the critically unemployed, are they? Oh yeah, oh, inspired unemployed. Yeah, yeah. watching Great. young guys like that. I mean, grab onto it when we're in a lockdown and do things like that. They're they're, they're very funny guys, and they've got larrikinism, which I think larrikinism is a great thing. I mean, obviously it can go to an extreme and be, you know, it sometimes crew can get it real wrong, but it's it's part of of Australia, and and yeah. I you know I, I love some of the things those guys are doing when they're taking the piss out of like road bike riders with their cleats on, yeah. and just some of the stuff that yeah people everyday things that people think are okay, it even can make the person who is doing it like a bike rider look at it and go yes it is ridiculous <laughs> to work around in those fucking stupid shoes yeah I love it all uh, the job site stuff they do too you know like where there's the like. The guy that's doing the TikTok movies, and he's like, "No, don't do it, don't do it." Like, fuck, yeah, so good. Yeah, they've got a good, they've got a good read on all that stuff, and I think, um, yeah, even even when they, even though their characters are nowhere near as in depth as some of the other stuff, yeah. they've got a really nice sort of light-hearted approach, which is probably why they've done so well with it. I used to love those uh, full frontal, like when Eric Banner used to play <laughs> yeah, those characters, yeah. like a Paul Hogan when he did a Paul Hogan had a heap. Yeah. Um, who else? Cast Day Night, all those, all those, yeah. Um, yep. all those sort of yeah, guys. all yeah. that crew, amazing. Yeah, it's no, Australia. It is. You're right. It is a part of Australia's sort of way we've grown as a nation in many ways, humour wise. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, being satirical. I mean, they're, they're all doing on different levels, whether it's just a lark and fun or taking the mickey out of someone or whether it's things, even when you think about Dame Edna and, you, talk, oh, and you know Barry, yeah. Barry Humphreys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, some of his characters are so complex. Yeah. Even when you think about now about cancel culture and stuff, he's been in some hell trouble before. But he's, I mean, he's a hyper, he's an academic, he's a hyper intelligent sort of guy, but obviously loves the, the irreverent lifestyle of Australians. There's things about all that that he loves, like Barry McKenzie and all the stuff that he did. He loves that stuff, but he's sort of mocking it in a way. But also, it, it, you know, I think it, it, with, some of, with some of his best stuff he did, he's, he's saying stuff about it. He's saying stuff about Australia and what it is. Like who was it he used to do who um, 
who was the attaché to um, to Australia who used to – Les Pato, was it? Les Patterson. So Les Patterson, yeah, when you think about the complexity of a character like that, of someone who's representing Australia but is a complete just like fucked up guy <laughs> and, and what that – it was just fantastic, you know, way sort of ahead of its time in a way like the Norman Gunston was well, way ahead of their time really doing that stuff. Where do you sit on sort of – dive into cancel culture, where we're currently at and what do you think's the future for sort of comedy and the acts that do and, and the fine line you got to tread now? Well, yeah, it's it's incredible. We're, at, we're kind of – you feel like you're at the top of the mountain but you don't know if it's kind of going any further. And, yeah, I mean, I think um, I've been involved in a few ads and on a few film sets and things and, you know, obviously in, in different situations with lots of people who are getting ready to do shows and things where you've got women and different people um, who might be in vulnerable positions. And, look – I like it to be safe and fun for everyone, including whether people are transgender or, or, or gay or women, especially when you're in changing rooms and stuff like that. You do see some hell stuff happen and things that, that shouldn't happen and you know it. And if you call it out, you, you make it, you, you're pretty subject to being in, especially, you know, when I've done stuff with AFL and that, you, you're in a spot where you're like, wow, I'm around all these gnarly guys and I can't really say anything but you just want to shut down things before they get going so it's it's such a fine line I mean I love taking risks and like I was saying to you guys before and Woody I've taken risks before and I've had stuff come back at me with Indigenous crew and all sorts of things where I've gone oh I made a ridiculous mistake then I was trying to make a joke I said something shouldn't have said and often we'll talk about them whether they be artists like musicians or comedians whatever talk about it later because you know it's never been my intention but I do fly when I'm going at state of consciousness and I'm just coming out with stuff. So have to be careful with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the intention never is, I think with comedy and there's some comedians who I do find a little bit where I look at it and I go, yeah, I can find certain parts of it funny. Um, I think I was last night with Ash, I was watching, um, Anchorman and you know, there's parts of that, you know, there's some really funny actors amongst that. Um, and they're lampooning something that happened uh, way before, you know, the film was made. They're lampooning the 70s and what it was to be a male kind of anchor man in that world. So I think, you know, I think we're in a better place in terms of everyone having a good time and everyone getting together. But obviously what that's what's going to happen there is you, you definitely want to shave away and get rid of the assholes, like the ones who are really bad and things that are, if they're if they're genuine and they've happened in Hollywood or wherever the hell they're happening, you just don't want that stuff going on because you want female performers or kids or transgender people to be able to put into the park stuff that we all enjoy no matter what it is you know otherwise we wouldn't have performers like Elton John and that you know someone who's openly gay but is also written some of the best songs of all time you know so I I think that it, it, it is difficult and it's difficult for me and it's difficult for everyone and for people who maybe have in the past just absolutely hammered someone for the wrong reason. I think that they will have to cope with that on their own terms and go, I have to think about what I'm doing. Whereas if I feel like I'm on the edge and someone said, oh, you probably shouldn't have gone into that territory, then I'm happy to sort of talk about it and rethink it a bit. Um, and with clients, you just have to, sit in the spot that you're happy with and they're happy with as well. Because if they try and alter you too much, you go, you're probably better off getting someone else to do the gig because there's no use me altering who I am yeah. so much to to try and do the gig. It's like if, you know, if I've DJed in the in the gay community before, like at Mardi Gras or for other things like that, like it's it's super specific. They're very not very often that they have someone who is a heterosexual, you know, DJ. And Eddie's char- – my character is he, – he's, he's a bloke. He's an Australian bloke who, who is straight but obviously likes partying with anyone. He doesn't care. But to get accepted into that world, they just go, no, you're not DJing for us. And you go, oh, okay, but I'm doing this, this and this. And it's not till you go through the performance and they experience it and then go, we actually had a great time. You're all right. You're accepting of us and we had a nice time together. So that's all right. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not – coming out, I think, with ridiculous things that they find are sort of offensive to them, even if it's for a reason that other people don't understand and go, oh, I don't know why gay people don't like that or I don't know why, you know, 
that Indigenous guy doesn't like the joke I made about his kids or something. Because you do, you see some ridiculous things at festivals and that, people making bad jokes and you go like, yeah, okay, you might think it's funny at the time, but you've got to think about what that person's been through up to that time. Good tie into Movember, actually. I think mm. that's a lot of the stuff. Even when I started coming up here, I learned a lot of things about making shark jokes even. Webby. Webby pulled me up on it one time. He goes, yeah, it's funny to make jokes about that stuff. You know, like, I, I think I said something like frolicking in the shore break with some Makos or White Pointers as a sort of tourist sort of thing for Ballina to get more people to come back to Ballina. Yeah, it's mm, <laughs> mental, yeah. mental. I'm not sure that it yeah, – Exactly, it yeah, and yeah. it was a, a throwaway line yeah. and I said to Webby afterwards because his friend had, had been killed by yeah. a white shark, which, you know, incredible pure human fear and the worst thing that can possibly happen. So I said to him, yeah, man, like I wasn't even making a joke about that. I was just trying to break down a little bit of what we're all scared about is a grizzly bear or a white shark, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. just, it's just human nature, I think, you know. All right, change tack a little bit. I'm a bit of a ski nerd, well, back in the day I was anyway. Give me your top three skiers of all time, mate, the guys that you want to watch. And because I was a massive Warren Miller fan, I loved his all those old school movies, love the sarcasm yeah. and the humour. Is a Warren Miller guy, just to jump in, I think I've seen him when I first went to snow. It's like, okay, here's such and such. Going down the moguls, he's doing like really cool stuff. This is him in the I back. loved him, man. I yeah. was around as a kid That's from the Yeah, commentates like – Yeah, like yeah. introduces – And he's funny. He was genuinely yeah, yeah. funny on he's some a funny of stuff. Guy. Just before you answer that, yeah. have you skied Bunty? Yeah. He said that. Yeah, but is it just when you were a kid? You haven't skied no, since? Oh, the only time I did just before I started at the Bronx. Oh, I did a bit in um, Japan. But, yeah, when I was uh, 17, we went up to a few weeks in Canada. I just I'm amazed at some of the stuff that you watch. <laughs> anyway, keep going. I loved it. Well, I didn't yeah. go to the beach as a kid. We went to the bloody – I know, I went to you, the snow. But you yeah, read yeah. So, um, waves, waves articles by Sean. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, that was on planes. Yeah. That was my dreaming of where I could be <laughs> potentially when I was in my teenage – well, 12-year-old anyway. Sorry, anyway, I read sorry, some weird Eddie. shit. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So give me, give me your top three. Top three, okay. Yeah. Um, top three of all time would have to be Candide Thovex. So like, tell, yeah, tell me about him. I, I, I'm, oh, yeah. Unbelievable. French guy from that sort of region around La Plaine and near Chamonix, those mountains there. Skied for, for Quickie for years. Redefined um, big mountain sort of free skiing and doing tricks and just from, from a freestyle sort of background. Absolutely unbelievable. I met him a few times because he was with Quick for years. He's not now, but was for years and came out here three or four times on tour. And, yeah, just an incredible guy, like amazing skier, like sort of just like an antelope or something on his feet all the time, would always land the tricks and think of things where you just – you couldn't think of them. And physically was able to do things, obviously, that I can't do and a lot of people can't do. He's – I, I would say he's sort of the greatest of all, all time. time. Yeah, Incredible. Wow. Redefined kind of that mix of freestyle and big mountain skiing and things that just look sort of impossible. And he would see them. But he'd, the thing that's interesting about Candide is too, he would not only see him in a sporting way, but he would also see him in a way that maybe art could be made, oh, like yeah. films. So he'd work with someone who's working really close with him, like great surf films, and could ski with him with a GoPro or a big camera and follow him. So it gave you the feeling that you're involved in those sort of tricks. And I think, yeah, some of his edits and that even now are just unbelievable. Even what he's doing still now, he's, he's had a very long career and I think he's still really healthy and doing rad stuff into his 40s or whatever. I don't know how old he is now. But, yeah, he'd have to be one of my top ones. Um, Lindsay Vaughn, the downhill. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Lindsay Vaughn, incredible. Like Really? The, Oh, well, I mean, she's one of the winningest skiers ever, mm. redefined female downhill ski racing and, and GS, just an incredibly powerful skier. And, you know, sits in that funny spot between with social media. And, and obviously dating Tiger too. That exactly. That changed that whole dating thing. Dating Tiger yeah. and yeah. other basketball players yep. and things like that. I think she's married to a basketball player now. I'm not sure. Uh, ice, ice hockey. Yeah. I think ice, ice hockey. hockey player. Okay. Yeah, right. But just – and so many injuries, one of those people, because injuries for all of us, you know, when you – as you start getting a bit older and you, you've got to go through that time of being injured and the mental capacity to get through it and to come back. And she's had like four or five knee reconstructions, broken tibia, back, all sorts of yeah. things. And come her back – work ethic just it looks amazing. Unbelievable. I've seen her in the gym and just yeah. go, holy yeah. shit, she's got and a, and a great ambassador for skiing, whether it's female or male. Just yeah. an inc I mean, she's skiing on those downhill – women's downhill courses at 130, 40 kilometres an hour doing those same she, jumps. She had some gnarly injuries, oh. didn't she? 
bad. Yeah. One of her knee ones in particular was really bad where she tore MCL, PCL, Is that everything. the one that she came back from to make the last Olympics? I think and it she was. she retired. Yeah. 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 And so she had That's a crazy titanium story. screws, all sorts of How stuff. How that was documented. Was, yeah. It was great, wasn't yeah. it, the way they documented it. So she's, yeah, really inspirational as far as skier and just even the way she amps up young skiers and works at the resorts and some of the stuff she does. I mean, there's probably endless other ones, but she stands out just because she won so many medals as well and just kept coming back. And then probably So so just on that, would she be the best female skier ever? Uh it'd be pretty close. So Sarah Burke, she was pretty good. She was a great skier. free skier. Yeah, but, but not not medal wise and that stuff. Lindsay yeah. Vaughn and uh there's another rad young female skier at the moment whose name I can't Schifrin? Michaela Schifrin, yeah, thanks, Ash. Over there, Michaela Schifrin may have overtaken Lindsay Vaughn in the amount of medals, um, and is incredible too. She's yeah. uh, she's going all around the world doing slalom and that. And then probably, you know, I'd probably have to look at one of the classics like Stenmark, just for just for being one of those guys who you know style. He was a cool guy, and he just and he just. A, a really fair competitor. I think he raced in a really sort of fair way coming through the, all those eras from the 70s into the 80s and through there and just winning tons and tons of medals and just being dedicated to, to ski racing. So I reckon, yeah, they'd have to be my top three. Unreal, mate. All right, last last question. A book, a podcast and a movie. What do you got for us, mate? What sort of bit okay. of wisdom you can Mo- expel? All right. Um, book. Uh, book. Uh, oh, Wow. Well, all right. I'll go. I'll go with my top movie. I'd have to say Touching the Void. Oh, Touching how the good Void. Is that? Yeah, because I, I rock climb and do a bit of mountaineering and stuff. Like not full on mountaineering, but I have done a few serious ones. But yeah, that I think that changed the way documentaries were made, and it really tapped into that thing of what it must be like to be pretty close to dying, and then you seen coming. it, Woody? I haven't seen Touching the Void. Mate. I've Do seen yourself, I've right. seen the dorm wall and free solo. Yeah, I've never seen it's uh, touching. Is the how is the it, hell he survives? Crazy. You got to watch. I can't believe you haven't watched it. Would nah, it? Yeah. is it a, is it a newer one or no, it's an older one? Yeah, yeah. It, but would it be on Netflix or something like that? Or yeah, it'd be on one of those streaming yeah. channels. Yeah. Just sure. Google it. It's yeah. a, it's yeah. an incredible British watch. British climbers who were doing some of the hardest climbs. They were in Saratora and they were doing you know big climbs in Pakistan and India, Everest. And, yeah, they just have a disaster and it's all about the disaster of the guy coming back. He thinks he's dead. His mate thinks he's dead. He has to cut the rope basically and let his mate go off the end of the rope who falls into a crevasse and then you crawls gotta, crawls back into yeah, camp. You've got to watch it. Alive. Just watch it. You just Holy watch it. It's, it's heavy. Shit. You'll love it. You'll love it's it. It's like yeah. that cliff a bit. Don't let go. <laughs> yeah. That shit. yeah. And some of that stuff, cliff would have taken some of that stuff yeah. for sure. Artistic license on that for sure. Just, just 100%. quickly, what's your take yeah. on Nims Perger and what he's just achieved in the last year or so climbing the fourteen peaks? Oh, incredible! Anyone that got, anyone that does that stuff, and there has been there's been Australians who've done it, and crew from out near Mount Arapiles rock climbing areas. Anyone who dedicates themselves to doing the highest peak in in a in a country and travelling the whole lot to get them all. Oh, uh, unbelievable, man. really. And how quick yeah. he did it, eh? Fuck, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Sorry, that's yeah. It, it changes, doesn't it? Because it goes from climbing and then to, in some ways the French around Chamonix have pushed this, like climbing the hardest routes and then how fast can you do it and if you can jump off the top of it with a parapont and if you can. So they always yeah. keep pushing that stuff more and more. And, you know, it, it, it's incredible, but I think that's why sometimes when you go back to stuff like Touching the Void, where mountaineering was at a pretty pure phase. It was about getting to mountains that had never been climbed before and then they had the disaster. About survival, I mean, why do people want to surf big waves? Why do people want to get to the top of a mountain, you know, just because it's there? And some of that stuff that sort of breaks it down into what's, you know, sort of the greatest. Um, Podcasts, I'm not massively into podcasts, to be honest, so I'm going to say ball and all. Thanks. <laughs> Watched a couple recently in the run-in, so that's yeah. I'm not massively into podcasts. Could get more into them, but um, yeah, I'll say that. And books. Oh wow. Oh look. All right. So when I was at school, um, I was dyslexic, um, yeah, right. and so found it very hard to read um, when I was going to school in Wodonga. I was at Wodonga Tech School, um, and the teachers sort of picked up on it earlier than that. But I was finding it hard, and um, I was reading once. Once I learnt how to read, I, I got some lessons and got through a dyslexic thing. I was picking up just pulpy sort of novels and stuff like that and reading them. One of, my t- one of the teachers up there said to me, he goes, what are you doing reading that shit for? 
And I said, oh, well, that was one of the thick sort of books I got off there. And he goes, come here. So he picked out um, Cannery Row by John Steinbeck. Um, maybe Mice and Men by Steinbeck as well. And Love is a Dog from Hell by Charles Bukowski. And he gave me those three don't novels. They, don't they write that one, the Bukowski one, as the best book ever? Written? One of the best yeah. books ever written about what it's like it, no. to be in love, yeah. being torn out and in love. And so three pretty heavy books and I think I was maybe about 14 or so when I got those. And, yeah, I guess um, – so I'd have to say, yeah, Steinbeck and Bukowski, I'd have to say, um, yeah, just kind of opened me up to people who are real novelists and who write about stuff yeah. that is maybe far away from what, you know. And Bukowski was just an yeah. asshole, Like he was a drunk, he was horrible to women and that, but he wrote the most beautiful – like poignant stories about, you know, about life. And I think – so I would have to say – yeah, I'd probably have to say Charles Bukowski, best book, and that one, Love is a Dog from Hell, I'll, I'll, I'll go that as my favourite book, I reckon. They debated the it three. as the best one written. you got something to read, Barnsley. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks uh, thanks for calling into the shed. It's been a pleasure having Lucky you here. And, uh, and obviously a pleasure having you here for the weekend, first yeah. time for a couple of years. I know everyone's frothing on uh, tomorrow and tomorrow night. Um Hopefully you'll enjoy the, uh, the North Coast. We'll have, uh, I think the sun's out tomorrow. Oh, it looks it's amazing. It's going to be cracking. up, sun's out. The weather's it's incredible. Fucking... You need to sleep tonight, Woody. And we're off to the okay. bowler. Let's go to the bowler. Ball and all beers. Fantastic. Thanks for thanks, having me, guys. Thanks so much. It's good thanks, to be back. Unreal. Thank you. Cheers. You. That's great, mate. Unreal. Thanks, hey. Don't smoke here. We only set fire through the microphones. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>